Welcome to the Marxist Think Tank podcast, an attempt to look at the world from a class-conscious perspective and to build. Composition and musical revolutions, um, one, often comes from technological revolutions, and two, essentially without the support of a social revolution that happen, is happening at the same time, only lasts about a few decades. Because, you know, people are smart, they're going to figure out every single possibility, this is just a math game. Just as postmodernism disappears and becomes taken for granted, so does capitalism, as it were. You know, the, you know when, after 1989, when cap capitalism loses its visible antagonists, um, sort of Soviet empire, um, then capitalism doesn't have to defend itself as such. It just becomes that, you know, horizon of the imaginable. It doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be named anymore. It's all the more powerful because it's not named. It's just what, it's just reality itself, the only imaginable reality. Um, and so this, uh, this, all of this is behind then, I think, this, um, this sense of cultural inertia, this sense of uh, unacknowledged or disavowed kind of exhaustion that increasingly pervades um, culture, I think. Now, as I say, it's, Jameson never really says, okay, he, he makes the claim that there is this tendency towards pastiche retrospection. He never really explains why that is the case, actually. And I think my conjecture would be, well, there have been a number of conjectures. One of them would be, and there are hints of this in Jameson anyway, that uh, I'm just drawing out, really, that you know, in times of massive insecurity, such as we've lived through, in times of massive political, economic insecurity um, and, you know, job, job insecurity. We've all got used to, you know, this, uh, we, we've all had to live with this. As Baradi argues in, in, in this book, uh, you know, uh, used to be entre entrepreneurs, used to be a special class of people, they used to take risks. You know, everybody else didn't have to worry about risks mu very much, you know, it wasn't, wasn't their job to do it. Now, we're, because we're all, as part of what I call capitalist realism, is we, we're all entrepreneurs now. We all have to be entrepreneurs for ourselves. We all have to sell ourselves all the time. Um, we all expect to only be in short-term contracts. If you're in a short-term contract, uh, as I am in all of my jobs, um, then you're effectively applying for your own job all of the time, aren't you? I mean, it means that so you're, that, that, you're in this permanent state of anxiety. You know, that you can't... It's very hard to make demands about your conditions uh, in, um, in that situation. This, in effect, is what happens over the the course of the 1980s is really a shift from um, a kind of stability of antagonism, you could say, that defined the social de democratic um, period, also known as the Fordist period, um, where, you know, we had representatives of workers, trade unions, representatives of business. The role of government was essentially to mediate between these two separate interest blocks. Um, if you're a worker, you would expect to... Uh, be male, <laughs> largely, you would expect to, um, if you wanted to, to work in the same factory for the, you know, 40 years of your working life. You'd expect small inc incremental improvements in your standards of living and pay over the course, course of that life. Um, small, but, you know, that nevertheless, you, you could predict what your life would be like, um, effectively. That all goes, that all goes. Uh, during the course of, 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 of the 80s. Um, you, know, who have, you know, when we look around now, who has a job like that? You know, um, 
clearly some but important thing is you know that it's not just a bad development and, and one of the uh, things that's important to resist i think is a nostalgia for fordism a nostalgia for oh good old social democracy when, when women didn't work and that kind of thing and uh, you know that uh, and you know men had boring jobs for 40 years great if, you know what <laughs> okay there are certain benefits of that world in terms of certain kind of psychic stability which we now absolutely lack um, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that uh, we should hanker back for hang, hanker for that world To kind of um, give a little bit of my background, I study uh, classical music uh, professionally in uh, in music school. Um, so uh, of course, we had to do a lot of music history curriculum, right? Uh, so from a classical music perspective, um, the aesthetic of whatever genre of music that is associated with uh european music from the 1700s to all the way to the 1960s uh including but not limited to it's like it's slightly it's slightly bigger than that but uh within the kind of traditional realm of what people would consider like classical music but would be considered academic study of music um the definition of an of the aesthetics of a genre of a time period is always with the exception of maybe the romantic period uh is always defined like decades sometimes closer to a century uh after the kind of birth of uh said um aesthetic uh slash school of uh art uh after they are born in art and the literature so like the music always lags behind art and literature for a few a good few decades hmm, that's okay. just a rule of thumb uh the baroque music style came out uh quite a few decades after uh, if not a century after um the baroque art style uh yeah. of painting uh same thing with the classical style. Um, right, the music style only caught on much, much later. Um, Renaissance was... Uh, no, 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 I'm sorry. Uh, Romantic era was an exception, maybe, because... Um, well, the obvious reason, like, textbook reason, is, like, some of the musicians, composers, were, like, real-life friends with some of the authors of the Romantic era who writes... Um, novels and poetries and so on and so forth so like they were alive and in contact physically right uh but uh like the grander reason is probably just um you know industrial revolution hit everybody roughly the same 
So, um, of course, people reacted to it at the same time, right? The rise of the middle class, the rise of the European middle class is what led to the breakaway from the classical period in, you know, all fields of art. Right. Uh, okay. The painting, music, literature, you know. So everybody kind of boarded that train uh, similarly. But then um, they, uh, some of the French uh, Impressionist, air quotes, uh, stuff, um, the music also caught on to the painters like uh, Monet and so forth uh, a bit later, although this time it was only a few decades. So, like, this factor of, like, not only nostalgia, but, like, just musicians essentially struggling to even find the, like, the musical, like, aesthetic language to use to, for a certain thing that, uh, for a certain uh, trend, newly risen trend, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, so, like, how each style has a distinctive sound, um... But like, how, if you were like asked to create another style of sound, like on the spot, being paid, I don't know, twenty dollars in a bag of cocaine, to come up with a new style of music, like that would be quite difficult. You'd really have to scratch your head to figure that one out. So yeah, that's uh, the kind of first thing I'd like to point out. All right. So uh, to reflect the world around us. Music always kind of comes behind that um, as a just a general rule of thumb mm-hmm. or a trend. Yeah, because you have to figure out like what the, what is that even going to sound like, and you know uh, there's a lot of experimental stuff because I well nobody can agree on it because every time when there's experimental stuff, everybody's work is just as uh, almost just as uh, controversial as everyone else's. So, yeah. Okay, so do you think, uh, well, I guess I'm getting ahead of us here, but do you think maybe um, Vaporwave uh, is a little late to the party, I guess? Just just to follow uh, your train of thought there, the thinking. Well, um, like, I'd like to, tell, like, from the classical perspective, um, ironically, I'm going to point to the film uh, Kung Fury. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, how like it makes a satire of like the eighties neon synth aesthetics, and the film was uh, released in two thousand something, early two thousands, I believe. Mm. Yeah. So like again, you see the perfect example of like uh like it took twenty years ish, maybe the to, like a little bit more than ten years in this case to like really nail down like what is like the eighties synth style, right. Okay. And to just like uh, crank that meter up to a hundred and overdrive, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, hence you have the satirical uh, Kung Fury film. That's the first perspective. But the second perspective is, you know, uh, it's this um, thesis that I've been working on as a Marxist uh, mater- uh, historical materialist, and you know, uh, somebody who's been taught quite a bit of music history. So I'm going to give you the thesis, and then I am going to give the kind of rundown of how it uh, affects um, today, uh, okay. combined with uh, some concepts from capitalist realism. So there is this uh, hypothesis that I make, uh, and I can back it up with some uh, a significant amount of evidence, um, that 
mu- uh, the aesthetic styles of music um, is uh, of each era in music history is has to be tied to whatever the people are uh, used to or the sounds that people are taking inspiration from during that era, right? So, um, for example, uh, so for example, um, during the Baroque and the classical period, uh, there was no um, historically, like outside of music history, in just world history, um, the steam engine revolution was not around yet. So, uh, all this, uh, the kind of um, revolution in the means of production in Europe was the spinny, uh, spinny gin, uh, the the spinny, um, the spinning uh, fabric fabrication machines. Yeah, spinning machines. Uh, and uh, you know things like horse carts, uh, hydraulic uh, wheels that's built in rivers to you know um, windmills and all that sort of stuff. Copeland, Eric Copeland, Aaron Copeland, I forget how to say his name. He talks about how, like, maybe you're headed in this direction. I don't know. Uh, like how the train kind of like informed the rhythm of some yep, compositions. Yep, yep. That's, oh, okay, uh, okay. Well, uh, that's where I'm heading. Um, so like the, if you look at the dance, the folk dances from that period, it's always uh, very circular, like um, one, two, three, one, two, three. It's the sound of the spinning. Mm-hmm. And um, everybody from Johann Sebastian Bach to, uh, I would argue, Chopin, Friedrich Chopin. Chopin would be arguably uh, the last person of the spinning sound era. Huh. Of the uh, very circular, very un, uh, very round, if you will. Very okay. smooth uh, kind of rhythm. But then, like as you see, uh, when the industrial revolution happens, uh, steam engines, trains, uh, then you start getting very uh, meticulous rhythms, right? It went from the three, uh, three, four, three, eight kind of, uh, or like at least it's just a very casual kind of, um, not casual. Sorry, that's not the uh, relaxed is the better word here uh, choice word choice here to uh, uh, rhythm to the very intense. Um, uh, rapid paced uh, one two three four two two three four three two three four four two three four right um the um sixteenth yeah sixteenth uh, thirty like, second um like just for reference pace uh sorry to interrupt you just for yeah. reference like I think yeah, a no lot problem. of uh post punk uh from the early two thousands is really sixteen note grid kind mm-hmm. of yep a lot yep of rock sticks to that yeah, perfect yeah Good obs- yeah great observation um. So, like, uh, music entering that period becomes a lot more uh, energetic, forward-pushing, and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you get into the period of, um, essentially, the, the Soviet Union uh, and the West went into a divergence, if you will, where the Soviet artists, like... Um, uh, Prokofiev, uh, uh, so uh, George uh, Severodov, and so on and so forth, uh, like was sticking with the kind of um, materialist model of like, okay, we are in the era of expanding means of production, so let's use the symbol of advancements, right? Which is um, the engines to um, depict uh, the you know Soviet realism. 
to kind of just like the in the art field, but uh, use music and sound that it has taken inspiration from in the street production because of the kind of proletarian kind of culture and pride, right? To uh, push forward this vision of like either describing history or like envisioning a future that like the Soviet future. Whereas here, over here in the West, you have this um, essentially has more to do with philosophy, uh, rather postmodern kind of. Uh, again, like uh, what I was hinting towards uh, before, with experimental stuff, where like no, like everybody's uh, kind of interpretation is just as agreeable as the next person's, and everybody is just trying things out. That's why um, in uh, cl- the cl- field of class- uh, academic classical music study ends at the, around the 1960s. Reason being, uh, there's only two things after World War II for like in terms of serious. Um, Music scholarship for people to follow, uh, or three things sorry, uh, for people to follow. One is the Soviet train that's uh, uh, that just continues to go. Uh, two is um, the very uh, theoretical stuff that will go into essentially sound production and early synth uh, music uh, creation. Those are uh, highly theoretical stuff. The second one, uh, and the third train is just um, you get into this. Point where like everybody is becoming very ex- experimental to the point where like it is just nobody can agree on a style of the 21st century or like 20th late 20th century and the uh, 21st century nobody can agree on that anymore yeah that would be the most relevant thing in terms of aesthetics here in the west in the 21st century I guess we could get to a point of having microtonal chromatic music <laughs> just be all over the place. Well, yeah, no, no, no. Those pieces already exist, and not only that. Um, the the like the perfect example is just during the music theory conference in the United States every year. Um, like it's been like this is a running gag now at this point. Uh. Essentially, every year, like there will be some crazy dude, or um, yeah, no, just some really mm, interesting, shall we say? Let's be nice here. Um, looking person showing up to say, "I have figured out the gr- next grand unifying theory," and then they make their uh, presentation of how their um, new revolutionary uh, theoretical system works. And then everybody just kind of like looks at it and be like, meh. And then everybody goes off and uh, enjoy their tequila cocktails and like Yeah, no, no, it's a it's a recurring meme. So like that kind of shows us like the very fact that these stuff exists shows us like I'm sorry this is like a very long way to go about it. That like the one uh, people do not no longer believe in modernism and the kind of aesthetics that's defined by the advancement of means production. Uh, and two, with that, uh, without the guiding kind of light or goal or an endpoint of what the Soviet uh, kind of um, school has promised us, we are now literally stuck in the void. Like we are very much in the realm of like uh, freedom is a curse by the you know existential philosophers. So, like, with um, the lack of promise from 
Because, like, again, music is a form of art, and art comes from both uh, real-life events and uh, schools of thoughts that was birthed from real-life events, which gets into the realm of philosophy and history of philosophy, right? Mm-hmm. Um, in the realm where, like, you know, um, dialectics, materialist dialectics, and um, historical materialism has just been, like, seen as like this demonic thing that you should avoid especially in american academia like yeah yeah like no shit sherlock that's all i I can say like of course we're not going to find any new promise that um can inspire us to make a new school of music to be dedicated to it because you know uh, in a way like if you think about like the different sectors of production, you know, you have the primary sector who extracts natural resources, secondary sector for, for like uh, mass uh, resource convert to industrial products, and then um, the tertiary would be uh, like service industry and so on and so forth. Mu- the place that music occupies within the realm of human in- uh, conscious existence and academia and so on and so forth would be that of the service industry. We don't get to do stuff if there is no primary and secondary, if there is, oh, okay, we don't get to do new stuff if there is no new stuff coming out of primary and secondary sectors. Right. Um, so, yeah. so, because so, we are literally tertiary as musicians. So if there's no economic, real economic growth, there's no right. real... Material, um, yeah, material cultural, foundations determines yeah, the whatever intellectual superstructure right foundation so, superstructure the right, foundation has just been stuck in 19th century imperialism so, so i said this before uh with the other guys um on the earlier half of the show but the, um yeah and and this is the basis of hauntology is that if your economy is stagnant and then technology is stagnant right so you're <laughs> saying the material basis right Mm-hmm. Then culture obviously follows from that. That is, is culture as a result right. of these things. Yeah, no, uh, uh, enlightenment came about um, as a result of the newly forming bourgeoisie class in Europe. Mm-hmm. And the bourgeoisie only came about because of uh, trade expansion and colonialism. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the very uh, kind of Eurocentric way of saying it, but the, the age of exploration, right? So, like, of course, like, the next, uh, nat- next natural conclusion is, you know, with communism replacing capitalism, that would be the main driving source of, uh, art and music, or at least it should be. But, uh, with all the, you know, mistakes and then the collapse of the Soviet Union and the kind of overwhelming presence of the Western uh, the Five Eye Nations, um, uh, U.S., Canada, New Zealand, Australia, and the U.K., right? With their overwhelming presence. Hell, international law is written in their language. Mm-hmm. Uh, English is the single biggest language of science and academics. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, with... Um, yeah. So, like... Yeah, no, everywhere you freaking go, like, everywhere you fucking go, it's gonna seem like it's just imperialism, always has been. 
So yeah, no, uh, it doesn't surprise me at all that the only aesthetic thing that people are going to cling on to is going to be the eighties. Um, so you know uh, the which is- which uh, just to catch you up on the conversation. Yeah. Sorry, sorry, I have to for the audience too. Sorry, I have to go back and forth here, but no, no, um, but just just to let you know as well, like uh, like we we d- kind of like pointed out like the nineteen twenties, the nineteen fifties, maybe the nineteen sixties as well, uh-huh. and then the nineteen eighties were all like you know peak times in capitalism. So right. it makes sense through this ontological perspective and through uh-huh. um through vaporwave being specifically yep, yep. one of those things that the uh-huh. 80s would stick out enormously in our minds and that was like peak propaganda time too right, in, right. This, in the cold war so uh, yeah um surprisingly 80 was the peak of soviet union as well anyways uh, <laughs> um so there like with all this coming in like there comes a few concepts of why the 80s is kind of exceptional in the history of imperialist capitalism here in the West. So first is, uh, there, I'm going to introduce the concept of liquid capitalism. It's a book, a really good one. I suggest ever, everyone to give it a read. Um, essentially, liquid capitalism means like the aesthetics of capitalism has went from uh, the, like build, building one big, beautiful thing, like uh, maybe like a Boeing jet or um, a space shuttle, to building many, li- many, many little pieces of fragmented things, such as developing a source code for an app, um, developing one key, uh, one piece of um, code for some system, right? Uh-huh. So essentially, the the kind of profitable thing to do went from. Traditional industry, high-end uh, production. I think um, you know Lockheed Martin, Boeing, Airbus, uh, BAE Systems, uh, Rolls-Royce, uh, BMW, so on and so forth. To um, the information age, which with the internet inevitably, inevitably um, just uh, makes everything super um, fragmented. So now your programmers develop. Like little pieces of code that are with you know oh, with distributed information it makes it possible to you know bring everybody's little pieces of work together into one big thing. So nobody on their own has to make one big thing anymore. At least in the IT field, mm-hmm. uh, everybody can just make little things, and that would be profitable. Right. So and, iter- you know, uh, iterations. So, like, of course, the aesthetic taste going along with my previous theory of like, um, essentially, the thesis being like, uh, aesthetic taste is heavily influenced by the means of production. So, like, of course, like with liquid capitalism, um, this kind of aesthetic change is going to affect our the way we think, uh, the way we discuss politics. Right, uh, a million different ideologies on the three D, four D chess political compass. <laughs> and uh, fringe ideology, so on and so forth, um, and it's going to uh, affect our um, aesthetic choices. Um, what kind of art becomes popular? But like, of course, like people, our human mind and our understanding of the world is not suited to be fragmented. We all want like one big unifying theory of how the world works and how 
we should live in it. You know, that's why religion is so popular, right? So, like, what is the last time period where capitalism reached its peak before the information age? Where, like, all those big companies that I mentioned before still existed and was doing really well, but all the IT companies didn't even exist. It was the 80s. Okay. Yeah, no, so, um, of course, uh, that checks out, right? Uh, it's not just a mere correlation, because it is an aesthetic thing. It's roughly in the same neighborhood, if you will. Then capitalist realism would just be um, this desperate, behe- uh, like this desperate feeling you get when you face the behemoth of, you know, uh, British American imperialism, essentially. Well, uh, of Western imperialism uh, to the point where, like, you feel like entertaining yourself within this desperate worldview is like the only way you're get, going to get any kind of entertainment value out of anything at all. Hmm. Hence, uh, cyberpunk dystopia, right? So if you look at overexploited capitalist cities, um, such as Hong Kong um, and um, Detroit, Cleveland, Chicago, you know, I've always joked uh, before I even like uh, like kind of read into this aesthetic stuff that those are just literally like um, cyberpunk dystopia dystopias, but without the cool technologies. Hmm. No, really, think about the plot: like gang violence, uh, sh- shit out of luck neighborhood, right? Uh, corrupt police, shitty living, crammed living conditions, nightlife, drugs, abuse. Uh, no, uh, you know, no real future, no really education, Medicare, or anything. Uh, but, uh, you, what you do have is plenty of, um, lies about you're free. This is the place where, of opportunity. You can make it. Mm-mm. You know, like, uh, do, do, do I, like, need to, like, uh, I mean, actually, you know what? Go play, like, the, if there's no copy for, uh, copyright infringement. Uh, then just go play the twenty uh, Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven video game trailer, uh, the, the forty second something uh, one or like a minute twenty second one. Yeah, 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 no, literally, that's a literally word for word or like paraphrasing what it is. So it, that is quite literally Cyberpunk without the the the, the cool technologies. That is right. the reality that we have. Yeah. Right. So it's just, uh, it's just kind of like the amplification. It's like almost like, um, we're on a linear trajectory where the possibility for some sort of like exponential change has been eliminated, yep. but we're on a X kind of, kind of a flat, flat trajectory, but it's mm-hmm. a trajectory just, um, amplifying everything that exists right now. Yeah. Um, and that's the world you'll see in those situations. I do have to right. say for, for, when you think about far future, thousands of years from now, I wonder, um, for example, like if a society can advance to the point where it could travel across mm-hmm. the universe, I wonder why, like, um, why in certain films aliens are portrayed as evil. And to me, the thinking is like, oh, well, of course you'd have to be the most vicious creature uh, in a capitalist mind. Uh, right. To yeah, you, it, it, the thinking is is that. Uh, uh, an advanced society wouldn't be one that escaped subjugation, but embraced it, and uh, to the point where it became mm. just the, an embodiment of a monster or something. Okay, 
Well, uh, I mean, there's plenty of theories from, you know, the game theory to Prison's Dilemma perspective of why you would be hostile when dealing with an alien civilization, because, like, you know, from their perspective, we are aliens too. But uh, that's uh, derailing. Uh, the third thing I want to mention is from a or, uh, from a musical technical perspective, why the eighties um, is synth uh, kind of stuff is popular. So um, you know, during the Baroque period, uh, the keyboard music instruments, the 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 pipe organ, the the clavichord, the harpsichord, the three big kind of um, keyboard instruments uh they they had one thing in common they weren't they were not capable of changing the volume of how loud it is uh like you would on a modern piano where like however loud you hit it however hard you hit it it's gonna be how loud the sound is and however lightly you touch touch it it's gonna be how soft the sound is no that doesn't exist so um it was Dull, right? Uh, like you only had like two levels of louder and softer, like the two layers of keyboard and the cla- in the case of clavichord, they didn't have that. So um, there's no so velocity, like, velocity information between. It's kind of like besides the binary of on and off, basically. Yeah, you just literally have two. Uh, like you literally have this like flat um, level that can convey pitch. And timing, which uh, we call articulation, right? right. And I just want to say to the listeners real quick that that's maybe why when um, chip music and 8-bit music became popular again in the 2008-2009, you got a lot of this Baroque-sounding stuff yep. because it's only kind of information you can convey mm-hmm. through that without that velocity change. Exactly. Uh, that's uh, kind of what I was going towards. So, like, all the techniques from the Baroque era in terms of how you uh, how, how you refine a piece of music is based around uh, timing differences and uh, of every note and uh, rhythmic differences mm, so and like, variations so within just, what we now would almost call a beat, really. Mm, okay. So, yeah, no, no, no. Uh, so like all the the kind of um, the 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 variations of clicks that you hear in the background of a, a, a modern day song with all the beat, you can see a lot of similar rhythmic variations within a Baroque era keyboard piece. And uh, from a pianist's perspective, it's a fucking nightmare because the human hand is not built to you know deliver that with accuracy especially not on a heavier much much heavier modern day keyboard but anyways um so like of course like with the development of you know with you know with the industrial revolution they now have um so to give you a background um harpsichord was made with uh, pieces of iron and wood uh, nailed into each other to create a frame because of the lack of uh, essentially blacksmithing uh, metallurgic technology, right? that's the best they could do. But with cast iron technology uh, during, think like the Franco-Prussian War, uh, when Bismarck was around, uh, large cast iron frames were now possible. Anything from artillery guns to cast iron pan, uh, frying pans to um, uh, piano frames. 
So now all of a sudden uh, they are able to have large frames of complete metal that can stretch the strings, the metal strings uh, can withstand a higher pressure and they can stretch the metal strings to a higher uh, yeah, to uh, to a higher pressure to where like the string is, is under higher pressure when you hit it, it uh, it gets louder essentially. Mm-hmm. And now you have the ability to go soft and loud, depending on how hard you hit the strings. So now you have a whole range of information. Yes, which is now, dynamic and, information, right, and especially with like a brass instrument, uh, the po- the mass availability air quotes. Of uh, brass instruments such as the trumpet or the trombone, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, you know, again, uh, metallurgic uh, industry is just now more advanced, so uh, it's I easy to. I don't want to be oh, sorry to produce that stuff on on scale. Right, on I don't want to be overly Western centric, and we do mean that this is these are the instruments that would be available in a um, um, orchestral, not orchestral, but like basically. Yeah, orchestral kind of setting. You know, Western. Well, it's not Western centric in the sense that. Um, okay, it is Western centric in the sense that uh, Western cultural hegemony has gotten to a point where academic study of music is only exclusive to the Europeans. Right, but I'm just saying. And these, musically, this, we are all Westerners. Well, these these I'm just saying that these instruments in like well, chamber chamber music situations would be loud enough to like play over each other. Finally, they were able to make these instruments with dynamics that could play at that uh, volume. Well, Is I also that- want to mention that uh, this would be like where I guess like um, the Eurocentrism would actually do a little harm because it literally takes the abundance of this kind of informa- uh, technology to make this kind of instruments. To even to be able to have a full scale orchestra in the first place to begin with. Okay. Yeah. Or else it is simply financially unsustainable. Okay. To have a orchestra of modern size. Right. Okay. All right. People often say, like, oh, Beethoven invented a modern orchestra because he was going deaf. And uh, so he wanted to, he couldn't, he always think like the, the orchestra was too quiet. So he wanted it to be louder and louder. So he just added more and more instruments, and that was like the mythology, right? Of yeah. how the modern orchestra was born from little like quartet or whatever of like a four man team, each with one instrument. But like in reality, like that would not have been sustainable from a material perspective if you know instruments like trombone and trumpet didn't become cheaper. Okay, well, fair it enough. It would have quite literally have been impossible to organize. But well, I'm, uh, I'm thinking specifically of like flamenco music when I think of this, like and gypsy gypsy instruments and how those you could hear those at like with a smaller audience and a shorter range, and that those would be still di- those would be dynamic instruments. But if you put that in a right, concert right. setting, you wouldn't get any of that information over exactly. the other instruments. Um, so, like from a Chinese perspective, uh, Chinese music has pretty much stuck at the Baroque era of. Um, in comparison to the European tradition, ah. the Chinese pentatonic scale is fairly similar to the European Catholic Gregorian chant scale, right? Uh, harp, you have harp in one continent, and you have the Chinese uh, harp slash um, uh, the the guzheng type instrument, right? Um, and then you have counterparts for 
uh, guitars and piccoleles and um, ukuleles, sorry. Um, and then you have counterparts for flutes. You have counterparts for uh, yeah, no, uh, drums and uh, so on, so forth, right? And uh, Chinese traditional music and uh, singing is always kind of remained at the four-man team or like beneath ten people at once on the same stage kind of era. Mm -hmm. Until modern day, you start to see like current day, like you see start to see like a renaissance in Chinese folk music, um, like borrowing a lot from electronic music and uh, also Soviet composition, right? Mm-hmm. So, like at this point, like the harmonica has all almost become like a folk instrument in China of all places, due to the influence that Soviet Union had. Uh, but anywho, anywho, that's getting off track. So the original thing was um, the Baroque uh, kind of uh, techniques uh, were not nearly emphasized enough uh, and just kind of died or like uh, took like a very tertiary secondary supporting role in the grand scheme of things as music evolved right so uh, everything became bigger and stronger and faster (coughs) so if you just listen to like a like a Bach piece that was written for a harpsichord Say um, the the first variation of the Golden uh, Goldenberg variation, a uh, very simple, and then you go ahead and listen to like Tchaikovsky or Rachmaninoff. Like that is not anywhere remotely close to you know the same scale of things. So like as you have technological availability, like uh, all the kind of like you have more toys to play with. That is the simplest way to say it. You just right. have more toys to play with, so you don't have to like stick to one or two thing exclusively and refine that over and over and over again. But like, guess what happens when uh, the start of electronic music came about? It was back at square one. Mm-hmm. Uh, no real dynamics, bits of sound, right? Literally bits. Mm-hmm. Uh, beeps and pops and uh, robot noises, right? <laughs> uh, so, Very yeah, simple, no, if you want to make wave. music with that, you're wave. stuck at the same situation as these harpsichord artists back in the 1600s. So, of course, all those techniques to make music interesting came back. And uh, Baroque technique is very fascinating for those that are interested in this kind of stuff. Okay. And very okay. intricate and complicated. It is not at all boring. So the fact that like the eighties, uh, like uh, synth kind of music development just kind of took on a very similar trajectory, uh, refined and perfected things like uh, scales, uh, arpe- uh, arpeggios, beats. Um, the, pretty much defined the harmonic structure for modern pop music as we know it. Uh, I just wanted to say Wendy Carlos's um, switch switched on Bach came to mind, and that makes a lot of sense at the early age of uh, electronic yep. music. Okay, all right. And, wanted- um, yeah, yeah um, and the kind of um, obsession over finding every single possibility within this new aesthetic style uh, is very, very similar to Johann uh, J. S. Bach. Um, his uh, twenty-four. Um, 
Yeah, uh, twenty-four uh, well-tempered uh, clavier, uh, claviers, uh, which just means like he wrote a prelude and fugue, which is the main kind of style of um, how they arranged music back then. A easier small piece followed with a compl- more complicated, a slightly bigger small piece, and you call it a day essentially. Uh, and you, he did, he made one for every key of the Western twenty-four major minor. Hmm. Key to essentially just as a exercise to chart out every single possible variation uh, for the future of Western Baroque style based music, and uh, essentially is like why people call him a harmonic genius. He, the, the guy essentially wrote the dictionary hmm. for hmm. Uh, Western classical music and anything that's influenced by that from that day forward. That's why they're so boring, too. <laughs> yeah, no, because it is a essentially a theoretical exercise to see what the hell can I do. <laughs> Fair enough. And so you see a very similar process with uh, synth music, and to the point where it is so overwhelming, just like Bach was, because every musician after Bach lived in the sh- under the shadow of Bach. Uh, Mozart, Beethoven, all all like uh, looked up to him, and like if they were getting cocky, they wanted to overcome him. Uh, so like all the pop music, all the modern beats, uh, even though we have now, just like before, have a greater availability of sounds and toys that we can play with, everybody still looked to the the kind of foundation that the 80s built and to see if they can transcend it. It is uh, like the same playbook that we've seen and just now playing out all, again, all over again. So like I, I guess like history repeats itself. What can I say? Mm-hmm. Different, maybe on different grounding, but in right. basically essentially the same waves. Uh, it's just that, you know, the last time this uh, musical revolution took place, there was a ideological and economical revolution taking place at the same time. And so the musical progress of the massive leap forward and the humanities kind of human history massive leap forward in terms of real-life events and intelligentsia, uh, lined up. That's why that uh, line of progress forward to make bigger, better things uh, in music um, continued for, like, what, two, three hundred years? But this time, with a technological and therefore musical revolution taking place, there is not an ideological and human revolution. So it runs out of steam in, well, I guess 20 years. Uh, uh, 20 versus 200. So I guess we now have like a data set to compare this shit to as well. Which, you know. Well, uh, okay. So I guess uh, I'm a little off track here mentally. Uh, okay. So, so when we're, we're referencing the 80s, I want to know how this like directly compares. How we could like take everything we're thinking about and like directly plop it onto synthwave and vaporwave music and kind of like pick that okay. apart directly. Right. Um, so when you think of like Ching, uh, going from the Baroque classical to the um, to the Romantic and Impressionist era. Okay. Uh, the the main things uh, like beyond like uh, mu- musical theoretical stuff, the main sociological drive is just uh, that allowed all this to happen is just the rise of the new middle class 
and uh, break away from uh, European aristocrats. And uh, these are all big words. What it simply means is that during the classical era, I think Mozart and uh, uh, and uh, High uh, what's his name, Hondo? Yeah, uh, think those composers uh, literally they were paid by the the European courts to make entertainment music for them. That has mm. to suit their taste, because or else you get fired and you mm. starve. That's quite literally how it was. Uh, so everything has to suit the aristocratic value of like the Victorian era. You know how like everybody's super strict. They didn't. They were super toxic. They didn't be, believe emotions. They think everything's perfect, and uh, everybody should be super conservative. Uh, you women can are not even allowed to show their ankles in dresses. You have um, you know all I think like Pirates of the Caribbean. Uh, okay. What they uh, what the British uh, ruler of whatever fucking island. Uh, put their daughter through to marry another aristocrat, and she wasn't allowed to be dissatisfied about it because uh, the motherfucker is the commander of like some British royal fleet and or whatever. That's literally how you should look at that, because that's how it was. So with the Romantic era, uh, capitalism, you now have a middle class. Uh, so like uh, middle class households, uh, there was a, one a huge boost in sales of musical instruments because every middle class. A uh, person wants to uh, household wants to get their hands on to uh, on a piano so that uh, you know they seem cool, right? It's a trend. Keep up with the Kardashians. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. They used to make first, piano rooms. That's how they. Right, thought. right, yeah, exactly. Uh, secondly, um, the now that these uh, now these middle class uh, families are able to commission and pay the musicians to write a piece of music for whatever they wanted. Uh, so like uh, in uh, in even today, if you go buy like a like a musical score uh, of Chopin, for example, uh, so like it would like uh, on the Polish national edition of the Chopin's work uh, collection of works, you would see um, like uh, the historical letters that they wrote, uh, like uh, for Monsieur blah 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 and Mademoiselle blah blah blah. Okay. Like those pieces were writ- literally written for like fairly average people. So, uh, and, but like back in Mozart and Hondo's days, it was written for like some lords of whatever the fucking house of Prussia or whatever. Uh, so yeah, or Austria. Sorry. Um, anyway, uh, so like that, uh, and like think about what is the romantic uh, co- uh, value uh, in terms of literature and philosophy. Uh, exploring your emotion, right? Uh, letting your emotion go, uh, explore, uh, uh, daring to explore passion and love, right? The also the revival of um, the the knight's code of honor from the medieval era, right? Mm-hmm. You have uh, comp- uh, you have uh, literary compositions uh, like uh, uh, what was it called? Um, Mephisto, uh, the and uh, or. Um, uh, Frankenstein's monster. Um, yeah, no, uh, the Mef- the Mephisto uh, book uh, novel was literally turned into a piano composition by Franz Liszt, Mephisto's Waltz. Hmm. Uh, I'll check that out. Yeah, uh, it's uh, is supposed to de- uh, depict this like demonic thing uh, where um, Doctor Faustus um, had to like was tempted by the devil, uh, but then like had to like uh, kind of have like uh, inner kind of realization to discover his humanity and reject the devil, right? 
Yeah, so it's like a conflict between humanity and, you know, ego and so on and so forth. Uh, Other things uh, such as um, during the late German Romantic period, you have uh, The Troubles of Young Goethe, written by the very important uh, European writer-thinker Werther, which is essentially how he commented on his early life on the, like, his obsession with, you know, the romantic model chasing after this uh, this girl that uh, he considered as a muse or a goddess or so on and so forth. And in the book, uh, young Goethe, uh, which is supposed to be, represent Goethe, uh, killed himself uh, because um, he was, in our modern words at least, a simp. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, no, uh, it was his uh, satiric... Uh, efforts at to display how like the romantic kind of approach uh hero tragic hero stereotype came from the romantic era is unsustainable because if everybody pursued the romantic kind of vision everybody would have committed suicide okay yeah so that was a landmark defining kind of uh thing uh that has something to do with um the mass suicides in germany there was like a a trend in that a while ago because of uh, that has uh like in recent times like mm, I guess um I guess mid eighteen hundreds or something like that. I don't well, know. yeah, um, you know, a mix of capitalism and toxic romanticism. There we go. Yeah, yep, uh, it always does the trick. Uh, in such a way, like how it's, uh, if you notice a, tr- uh, tr- uh, a trend, it's been music has been like on the, like essentially becoming more and more unsacred. Okay, explain that a little more. Uh, so like back during the Catholic Church, uh, there was only uh, medieval ages, there was only two types of music one medieval folk music. Uh, a lot of it is not even documented because they didn't have a way to write it down. That's how formal it was. Uh, informal. Informal it was. And the second is the Gregorian chant. Any organized uh, planned music, shall we say, serves the sacred function of literally worshipping God. Uh, the chant of a Miserere Dei was um, literally kept as a, church, a secret of the Catholic Church for hundreds of years until... Mozart, uh, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart was a child prodigy, prodigy, and just memorized that shit after he heard it once at a church service, leading to the first case of music piracy in human history. <laughs> uh, anyways, uh, so then, like you know, with the kind of uh, loss of power of the Catholic Church, you have aristocrats, secular aristocrats, commissioning music. Right. Mm. With the rise of capitalism, you have regular. Bourgeois, you have regular bourgeoisie and even, you know, just uh, worker aristocrats, uh, middle class workers, think doctors and such, mm. uh, commissioning music. Right? Mm. It's no longer an aristocratic thing to, you know, so first you need to be literal servants of the creator of the fucking universe to be able to do music. And then all of a sudden, no, uh, you just need to be lucky and born into a bloodline. Uh, to uh, that controls you know the all the affairs of your your kingdoms and empires, and then no, you just need to get lucky and have money. And now with the availability of information, you nobody needs to have money. Any uh, fuck, I mean SoundCloud rappers. Yeah, I mean you could just do they iOS. Like no, not even close. 
Uh-huh. It's uh, you can get iOS to just boop beep at anything yeah. really. Some kid and- in their garage. Um, right. So like, music has become this uh, like has become more and more massively available to the public, and now we have a problem. Because every time in the past, uh, when there is a shift in aesthetics and taste and whatnot, there was a shift of uh, the values of um, the social values of each social class uh, is now become dominant is now like the dominating presence within uh, the new style of music, right? So, what well, from the values of the Catholic Church to the values of the European? aristocratic households, right? Mm-hmm. So you went from Gregorian chants to Mozart. Right. Uh, then it went from the values of the old money aristocrats to the new money uh, bourgeoisie. So you went from Mozart to Chopin list. And then what happened? Uh, if all things were supposed to go correctly, you went with the society went from, you know, ever since the October Revolution, the humanity was supposed to go from the bourgeoisie to the proletariat. Right. And, well, sorry to say, uh, here in the West, we don't have a proletariat identity. I think that much is obvious. Well, I would say, I would interrupt and say that um, the, the most base, base impulses and the id is um, a- amplified through kind of like the way, you know, the problem is with like, you know, Google results or uh, YouTube results is algorithms that keep on feeding us more of what our maybe base desires are. And we're fed that right, and right. the system is um, optimized for that. Yeah. Um, so no, that's a very good tension to go off of. But I do want to mention the Soviet kind of school uh, very valid and uh, not just school but just like um, how like the Soviet society relates to art in, uh, it's a very very valiant effort I, I, I want to mention that before we move on to like the shithole that we have here today in the information age here in the west mm. uh, so there was an attempt absolutely a very serious attempt at uh making the patrons of art from the bourgeoisie to the proletariat and that is lo and behold in the soviet bloc during the cold war uh there are these things uh westerners are probably not familiar with it but uh, anybody who's from the former eastern bloc would know uh there's this thing called the workers palaces that they build what it is, is this uh, essentially luxury, like bourgeois luxury, but like for your everyday factory workers. Uh-huh. So how it is, is that now, like, even if you just like literally shovel coal in a steel factory, the you are now allowed access to ballet, opera, uh, high performance arts. Uh, the uh, the workers' palaces have you know lots of inest- uh, uh, inst- musical instruments, harmonica, um, uh, entertainment, and um, you know dance dance rooms. Uh, fuck, even concert halls. Really, this is just an automatic knee jerk response I get as a Westerner. I'm thinking, oh, you're just uh, shoveling you know high culture to these brute you know 
base level people. <laughs> like, it's just, a, what is a coal miner going to do with ballet? You well, know? it's but, interesting. But, but wait, 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 wait. No, I just want to say, though, that that's not right because the, the whole thing about the Soviet project was to educate those people to a level. And they were educated to a high, a high level. You know, there's a resurgence of the STEM and and they had high level mathematicians coming out of, you know, Hungary and the rest of the Soviet Union as well. Uh, chess players, uh, but also... um. I love uh, you know, like you know, Gary Kasparov. Like, what the fuck does that name sound from? Sounds like he's from. Uh, anywho, so they went through their own enlightenment in that period, and yeah, uh, no, because uh, like now, all of a sudden, you can like even a lowly steel worker can send his kids to literally the ballet and music academies mm-hmm. in Moscow. And uh, Leningrad, former St. Petersburg, you know. Yeah, and, they, and, and they, uh, that's where your talents came from. It came from workers' background, families. Uh, same thing in China, right? Um, after the Chinese uh, market reforms, uh, a lot of the plant economy factories were just simple. Uh, in the northeastern region of China, were just uh, completely fucking stripped and abandoned. People became unemployed, right? But these are very, um, like, artistically and mathematically competent people. Right. So you're not this, this proletariat. So you're not, like, high uh, art. you're not handing high art to people that won't understand it. They're also able to. They're right. taught, being taught to understand this stuff. It's, you this. see, like, weird scenes of like former factory workers performing music gigs. Or like funerals and stuff, because on top of being a factory working an engineer, they are great musicians, really. And, and um, yeah, the kind of so like when you the when the social dynamics of art changes, right, from the bourgeoisie getting to make the art that they want to the proletariat making the art that we want. Uh, lots and lots of good pieces of art came out of that era, and anybody that's familiar with any of the Soviet uh, aesthetics and whatnot, like, should know, like they like uh, these uh, like this proletariat dominated art is capable of like some very very cool shit. Anywhere from building architecture to music, uh, like you know, uh, neoclassical remastering the traditionals, uh, but uh, traditional classics, all but also like the experimental works, right? Um, the hell, the Soviet designs for consumer products was very ahead of this, this time. Um, all these things came from this uh, attempt at uh, making the proletariat. The new dominating force in uh, dominating uh, initiator, essentially in art and music, obviously uh, art in the uh, in the grand uh, sense here. Uh, so in the broad sense, uh, so now you like now that that is out of the window because you know uh, R.I.P. Right. Now what do we have? Uh, instead of a competent proletariat that is standing up for themselves and uh, dictating what they want, they, what, what, what they want their art to be, we now are the lumpen proletariat. 
And that's where all the stuff, uh, all the kind of manipulation stuff that you were talking about comes in. So are you talking about more of like uh, the base desires being amplified by right, yeah, uh, base, des- uh, right. base desires being amplified, reducing people down to their id, right? Yeah. Um, you know, rap, hip hop was created in Bronx as a way to, you know, um, create essentially good music without uh, music company fundings. Yeah, or just you know, you, but uh, it's, it's hard. Right, well, it's, it's hard. It's hard in the Bronx when you have just like an apartment, you right. know, to like set up a band and yeah, exactly. If you, if you defund schools and you don't really know how to uh-huh. use the instrument, it's easier to just get a record player. Right. Um, but now, uh, on, as soon as the bourgeoisie gets its hand on it, now it, the hip hop has lost its class consciousness and just become yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, you you have a a non educated. Yeah. Um, proletariat and then you're giving them a voice and then you're letting them ask you're letting them ask for the things they want if they didn't know anything about anything right. else you're, you're just going up to uh it's it's like it's uh, the thing that uh steve jobs talks about when um they talk about like if you asked uh, a person uh whether they would want a faster horse or a car and they don't know what a car is so yep, they're yep. gonna ask for exactly. a faster, faster horse perfect analogy yeah um yeah uh so but then like uh, even like there are other examples for this kind of stuff as well right uh punk music um punk music started as uh you know fairly revolutionary honestly um ring day the american idiot and, you know need i say more right but yeah, uh, these yeah. days, like, uh, you just have, like, a bunch of fucking three percenters listening to <laughs> uh, punk music. No, 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 no. Punk music has somehow now become the national anthem of the anarcho-capitalists and the uh, libertarians. I- I'm serious. It's kind of always made sense. If you don't pair the message with, like, something overtly class-conscious, right. then you're just going to get something that's yep. anti-government. So, yep. of course, you're going to get libertarians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, so, like, you can see how kind of, like, any attempt at a proletariat-dominated art, it doesn't matter what race, uh, what uh, what culture you necessarily came from, it's all going to get reduced down to a essentially pacifying agent of the Western bourgeoisie. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. So, um, in this sense, like, yeah, of course, uh, shit stagnates. And the only, like, even from a technical perspective, the only things that have a good taste would be 80 synth. Mm-hmm. Well, being because, that- like, honestly, like, these days, like, there are some good music coming out, but, like, there are also, like, for every one piece of good music, I would argue there is ten pieces of shit music that came out that, um, yeah, it's shit. I I have no more words to say. So in terms of popular music, yep. I agree with that. I think there's a lot of great music, but you're not going to see it amplified in the culture as right. much. At, at the system that we are under right now. Um... Also, I would like to add that uh, there is also an element of survivorship uh, bias that's being because like uh, people are not going to keep playing bad '80s music. Oh yeah. Sure. So whatever '80s music that is getting uh, that is like survived to this day is like the best of the best of the '80s, 
Whereas we are the, the, you know, the, you know, same thing was like the 2000s music, maybe, you know, uh, there were some pretty good ones. Um, but uh, as far as like 2020, like the 20, uh, 2020s music, uh, like we are still in the process of figuring stuff out. So well, like we haven't, like, even though there, I would argue there is a greater ratio of shit music in the 2020 compared to the 80s but like still that doesn't mean all 80 mu- 80s music is perfect and we're we still just simply haven't weeded out the bad ones yet if that makes sense yeah yeah that, that makes sense i mean there could be some bias there right, right. but so, uh yeah, i'll be fair even though it is a very sociological yeah. and politically the- charged problem we still want to you know yeah, the stick I throw when people spoke here, and people, <laughs> they get angry at this one because it does throw us off a little bit, is, uh, and, and people roll, roll their eyes at this as okay. well. Uh, the, the, bro, the bro step of the uh, 2010s of Skrillex, uh, Sunny Morris. Oh my god, oh. Uh, you know, and, and I know people roll their eyes at that, but it was an innovation in its own way. It was had elements of microtonal music. yeah. Um, I mean, I can see that because, like, Skrillex describes himself as the Mozart of the 21st century, right? I don't know if he says that about himself, but he is uh, seen that way. He's seen that way for sure. Right. Uh, also, um, <laughs> no, it's a, no, he, he is a huge meme in music school. Uh, every time we talk about Mozart, somebody has to bring up Skrillex. Uh, no, it's it's it's, it's great. Uh, anyhow, um, I do see the music is innovative. I don't honestly don't think the music's bad in itself. I think the trend was right, a little bit. Uh, is just, yeah, yeah, the trend, uh, the, the culture was nauseous. Uh, yeah, but um, uh, like he essentially started a whole thing of like uh, essentially popularizing the living shit out of like. Um, Auto tune, like not like uh, to make the singer's voice sound better because they can't sing out of auto tune, but like just like um, overtly auto tune. Think like um, Travis Scott. Uh, and the thing that I'm laughing at, uh, I think everybody's listening should uh, go check this out. Just uh, type in YouTube uh, Travis Scott fall off stage. Oh, yeah, I think I've seen that. Yeah, <laughs> he uh. Uh, he he fell off stage with the mic on his uh, in his hand um, with the auto tune on. <laughs> and I saw like the his, his voice of like oh falling <laughs> off the stage was auto tune. It was absolutely. I love that. Um, anywho, <laughs> uh, no like Skrillex like um, I guess like you can argue he popularized like not being ashamed of auto tune, but like making auto tune into like a, its own aesthetics. Yeah, well, well he was like, like I, even as a professional pianist who's been in international competitions, I would still like say like there is a decent level of skill involved with like Travis Scott's like live auto tune uh, playing, if you will. Because like that motherfucker was like manipulating the auto tune machine, like a pianist will play a piano. Hmm. Like that is like yeah no so like yeah it is legit you know. I mean there I person that's fucked with auto tune for years and hours upon years. Right. 
Uh, yeah, there's things you can do with auto-tune that it isn't just, you know, immediately something right off the bat that just makes your voice sound cool. Because, yeah, there, honestly, you just got to sing bad. Honestly, that's that's the biggest trick is knowing when to sing bad. Because when you hit a, mm-hmm. a, a note that's out of tune, it'll flip it. Uh, yeah, yeah. A vibrato uh, between uh-huh. the note, the correct notes. But anyways, this is a yeah. whole aside. But this is interesting. Right, right. But yeah, so there is something to the technologies. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, no, that, techn- technological revolution always drives right stuff. You know, again, uh, foundation determines superstructure. Right, right. right. Such a um, you know, like literally in China, a little elementary school kid knows that. But right. here in the West, it's like such a fucking profound thing for some reason. Right. But is there so but we get stuck in back to this micro iteration based world where we get the Marvel movie with a new character. Maybe um, yeah. we get uh, iPhone Ant-Man up, uh, up uh, Thanos butthole. And then, <laughs> sorry, I just had to say it. Uh, I we- must bring that up. It is my <laughs> secret duty. <laughs> we get we get <laughs> we get uh iPhones with like an extra camera or 3D scanning camera bigger camera. longer extra camera yes yeah yeah like all the whole backside is a camera now oh um, uh, spider nunchuck yeah so, eyes of spider and the length of a nunchuck right so it's That's, all kind of an iteration sorry it, 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 it is is innovative in micro iteration, micro innovation based world now. So yeah. liquid capitalism. So but without some real money backing it, some real material uh, drive to es- like uh, enter an escape velocity from this kind of thing, because th- where are these technologies stem from? Everybody already listening to this knows. And this is a lot of stuff people know already. But a lot of the stuff that Apple had um, yeah. innovated came from the state, uh, DARPA and stuff like this, or ARPA. ARPA um, uh, and the state part uh, decided to um, essentially found and establish Silicon Valley. Right. So if you don't get investment in things like that and NASA and all these things, then you're kind of going to be stuck in the same. And there will be little breakthroughs and things here or there, but it's not going to ever be a big enough of a change to kind of be able to change the playing field. Now, maybe, um, I don't know, maybe through drips and drops of simple changes that could happen, but will the culture be able to change? And honestly, like, um, a few things. Uh, one is like, uh, I forgot to mention, like, uh, you know, you live in an ex Soviet country. If everybody, uh, as a kid wants to grow up to be an engineer and an astronaut. Right, right. Uh, same thing in China. Um, nobody said in my elementary school that they wanted to be a celebrity. No. Right. That's what um, Gravilo was saying earlier. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly that. Uh, uh-huh. so, so, yeah. Uh, so the culture is still just based around innovating on these forms yeah. that are, are geared towards our id, mostly. So there's not enough yeah. of a breakaway um, culture to escape the things. It's not the men's never going to want a, a car because they're not going to know what a car is, mm-hmm. but they do want two or three horses. Right. And uh, the second thing is, um, you know, the bourgeoisie is always only going to innovate just enough to maintain their own rule. Right. Right. And maintain, which is which is just what 
the public wants what they think they want at least right they want to essentially um you know uh there is uh this um uh, it's hard to convey by words but um if you think about uh you know the society as a whole as a rectangle right uh you know you slide this uh slice this rec rectangle uh, horizontally with the bourgeoisie at the top, very, very top, and then everybody below them, the proletariat. Okay. But uh, that would, you know, create uprisings and revolutions, right? Hmm. So what the bourgeoisie wants to do is to slice that rectangle vertically and get rid of the horizontal slicing. So instead of, you know, the ruling class and the ruled subjects, the oppressor and the oppressed, you now have... All the different, like three thousand different uh, subdivisions of subdivisions these, yeah. of anywhere from race, gender, all the way down to like things and so something important as you know, which site do you take in celebrity drama? What kind of music are you into? Um, you know, um, uh, what astrology? What astrology sign are you? Um, are you a uh, which Kardashian are you once again? All right. Well, this kind of um, tracks onto what I was reading with Edward Bernays talking about. Basically, um, <laughs> we're ruled by, and this sounds conspiratorial, but this is written by a guy that was like legitimately uh, the man who wrote the book on you know modern advertising and propaganda, which which the Nazis used and modern day advertisers use as a basis uh-huh. um a foundation of work they go forward from um is that he said we're ruled by invisible uh rulers but that and not just that alone but the fact that like you give people the voice exactly what i was saying earlier basically is you give people the voice to speak what they want but they don't know what they want until you've propagandized them to uh, to think about what they want or yeah. to persuade them towards a position on what they right. want. And you manipulate so them towards a position that is actually not for their own interest. Absolutely. And but so it's very, very short sighted and short term. Yeah, no, uh, that's, that's exactly right. And another thing I want to bring out is like, once you start to slice the, the whole society vertically, the, People who were originally being afraid, uh, the, the the ruling class who were originally afraid of like being like looked at horizontally, right? Uh, when you slice the chart horizontally, now can blend in. Yeah, absolutely. They can blend in, so to where like the idea of a ruling class no longer exists. So yeah. like, the, the sickening examples of uh, when you st- start to divide things not along class lines is, you know, uh, like, even the ruling class sons of bitches can, fu- can make it seem like they're fighting for you. So Hillary Clinton can make herself seem like she's fighting for women's rights, even though she defends literal, literal rapists and... Um, well, when you have a situation like that, where like the the ruling class, who literally through their power in the form of money, is able to dictate what they want the world to be, mm-hmm. but uh, they now blend themselves in 
with the masses in the forms of all the not identity politics in the narrow sense, but like in the grand sense, like I said, um, which Kardashian are you and um uh yeah, no, uh that is just uh it's just one other uh like one more layers of additional I guess um barrier to, you know, uh there being ever being a possible possibility of a proletariat identity takeover and then you know the subsequent domination of the proletariat in fields of art and then us getting out of this ontological nightmare mm. uh okay so i guess what would be the most explicit um thing we could take away from all of this i guess in, uh, in terms of ontology and composition i guess Composition and musical revolutions, um, one often comes from uh, technological revolutions, and two, uh, without the support of, um, essentially without the support of a social revolution that happen, is happening at the same time, only lasts about a few decades. Because, you know, people are smart, they're going to figure out every single possibility, it's just a math game. Uh, Bach with a, a with a feather pen and some ink and some scratch paper and figured out within his lifetime. These days with computers and the internet, we can figure it out way faster. So in a few days, if it is revolutionary, it's gonna stop. It's right. gonna come to a dead halt within right, a few what, decades. Uh, what, what do you mean, uh, revolution within bourgeois culture? You're saying? No, no, revolution within purely musical technical. Right. Okay. Composition. Okay. Uh, however, um, with a social revolution of essentially changing who gets to be the dominating class of society and who gets to grow and prosper, now that is something that can last last for hundreds of years. Right. Right. So the solution to this, the problem is bourgeois culture. The solution right, to the this problem is, is the Chinese expression of uh, taking up the toilet and not actually taking a poop. You're just making everyone else who needs to poop unable to. <laughs> there we go. Do, do the poop, and you know you're proud of yourself stopping everyone from pooping and just feel high and mighty clogging up this goddamn toilet. <laughs> and that's our problem, really. Yeah, yeah. We gotta shit or get off the pot. You know, get something done. Right, so, so like, you know, if your time is done, then get the fuck out. Fair enough. And is that's there any- like what I'd like to say to you know the the the, the Western imperialist bourgeoisie. Mm-hmm. And I any- think everyone should. Okay, is there anything we could do with the through the medium of art to express this? I know it's already being expressed in its own ways through vaporwave and whatnot, but is there anything we could do through our music or our art? There is. Um, you know, uh, artists like um, J. Cole or uh, straight up like revolutionary artists, uh, rappers who, you know, um, all calls attention to this kind of stuff. What are some uh, low key immortal technique, um, so on and so forth. But uh, like, what else? Like, maybe bring, well, actually, I would say this uh, one, take inspiration from daily work. And uh, as the subject and the inspiration of all the things that you create, to um, make sure you portray 
like yourself uh, in like a reasonably positive light. Make sure you portray working people in a reasonably positive light so that you give working people confidence and you break the stigma of, oh, these are just dirty poor people. And uh, three, um, start doing, you know, volunteer community music teaching programs or like affordable ones, like $5 an hour or whatever, if you can get away with it. Uh, the, the more people that are educated in the ways of arts, the less... Um, or like the more effort the bourgeois needs to put in into their music in order to have the same effect on people as they do now. Because they can't just be easy and cheap about it. Because in order to satisfy the people, they need to put in more work than they already do. Okay. So that in turn drives an arms race between the proletariat and the bourgeoisie in terms of art. And who gets to say set the standards for stuff. Okay. Oh, I was always thinking of like, I don't know, this is just like one of those ideas I have, but <laughs> having like a cooperative of musicians that also teach the art to the students that will yep. become a part of the co-op eventually. Yeah, yeah, no, uh, absolutely. So like, uh, essentially think like along the Marxist-Leninist line of um, the second pole of authority, right? So the United, in the United States, they've been defunding all the art and music programs in schools. In public schools, mm -hmm. so uh, all the kids are just musically loss of tone deafness essentially. You know, if the state can provide that, we provide it. Whatever the uh, however the ruling class fucks up, we do it better. Right, right. And it goes anything from you know uh, community help, uh, helping unemployed families, all education. You know, uh, COVID nineteen prevention, all the way to you know, if you want music education, that can be a thing too. Mm -hmm. Okay, all right. How, do you know any programs that um, exist already that people could join? In, those terms? in terms of music and arts, I have no clue. That's there fine. are like local, you could just Google, of course, like music um, musician groups who are for you know social change, and like uh, there there are folks in Cincinnati that are. You know, plays music uh, for free at you know uh, protest events and whatever. Okay. But you know, I'm sure like if you talk to them, those kinds of people, well, they'd be you know at a protest that you see in the future with musicians playing or whatever, they'd be more interested. Fair enough. Because these are just you know your um not to like Im uh, not to like uh project on people, but like probably starving broke musicians just like me. <laughs> Huh. So well, yeah, I mean, I mean, if you could figure out a way to monetize, I know this sounds corny at this point, but if you could figure out a way to monetize it, but like in a way that helps people, I don't know. I'd be pretty qualified to come up with like a Khan Academy course for like music, classical music basics. But like, yeah. I'm sure there's already like programs like that online already. It yeah. just needs well, to be put into like a very nice and convenient package. But you know. It's yeah. not like beyond our capabilities or anything. Yeah. I don't necessarily think it's a priority for me at the moment. Maybe I can talk to people, folks here in Cincinnati that probably would be interested in this kind of stuff. I might get to do that tomorrow, actually. Okay, fair enough. Um, yeah. uh, I was just, okay, so we're at the end here, basically. Was there anything else you wanted to talk about? Because uh, I think I derailed this like two or three times, but I think. Yeah, uh, you did. <laughs> I, I tend to do that. Uh, was there what else? Anything else we wanted to cover? Yeah. Like, again, like as I like uh, said in the pretty early on, 
we are like the tertiary field like we are the equivalent music is the equivalent of service industry in terms of the human uh intellectual emotional kind of um worlds there comes philosophy then all uh political theory and science and technology okay uh those two are um you know on the same level playing field and then everything else that comes out of that right yeah by everything i do mean like everything because without these things we are literally still like hunting ostriches with stolen sticks right 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 this is um as like a human civilization as a whole so um yeah no so uh Again, and no amount, like I said, no amount of breakthrough within the purely music and technical field is going to solve this problem. Because at most, you're going to get 20 and 30 years of life expectancy out of it. And that's going to be the end. is it for this episode of the Marxist Think Tank. Catch us every other week here on SoundCloud. To allow us for our reporting and our content to remain independent, please consider donating to our Patreon and becoming a voting member in the link down below in the description. If you have a news tip or would like to talk to us, please email admin at marxistthinktank.org. Our editor is Sean Sanchez. News writer and producer is Reggie Truman. And I'm Oscar Bastille. Thank you for listening.